computer here, and then I'm going to hit live now. And hit go live, and let's wait those 10 seconds. All right, and I'm going to assume we are live. We always have those awkward 10 seconds at the beginning. Uh, so welcome. Uh, we have, obviously, Anthony Rich, welcome to Leadership Redefined. Uh, and we have a special guest today that we've been trying to uh, get her on for a few times now. Uh, but uh, to our discredit, we, we weren't able to until now. Uh, so welcome, Sue Ryan from Stony Brook University. I'll let you introduce yourself. And we have a, a few, uh, most of our guests we, that come on, we kind of just, uh, we talk about generic and we, we let the conversation flow, but we love that Sue came on. She had like, this is what I want to talk about right away, uh, which is wonderful. So we're going to get to all those wonderful points throughout this. Uh, welcome, Sue. We love having you on. Thanks. Thanks, Al. So my name is Sue Ryan. I am an assistant professor in the School of Professional Development at Stony Brook University. I also work in women's soccer. I coach collegiately and I work in something called the Olympic Development Program, which helps students, athletes, student athletes from U12 through U19 prepare for college and possible inclusion on our national teams programs. So that's, uh, I'm raised from uh, Northport, New York and I've lived on Long Island my whole life. Awesome. So, Sue, you had a, a sort of a... a you told me you were from Brooklyn, Susan. I was born in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sue, you wanted to talk. There was three different points, and I love the three points that you wanted to discuss. And I think the first one was flawed leadership, if I'm remembering correctly, right? So you want to Correct. speak to that, and, and we... We could definitely contribute as a, as a team to, to that and an understanding of that. But what do you mean flawed leadership? What does that mean? So let me take you to being a head coach, which is um, something that I've been and, in, and, and what I'm speaking about is an athletic coach. Certainly there are coaches and mentors in business and other parts of uh, industry, but I am and have been an athletic coach. And previously there's, there's something where there's a command style coach, somebody basically who is my way or the highway. I'm going to do it my way. I want to gain respect. I'm going to ask the players. I'm going to tell them what to do. And basically through fear, get respect. And that system isn't working any longer with the youth of today or with people in general. So now there's two things called guided discovery and problem solving where you ask questions to the athletes and you bring out the information. So you become a head coach. Now, here are the things that are expected. A, you are the smartest person in the room because you want your athletes to think that you know everything. You want the parents to think that you know everything. B, you're supremely confident, know what to do in every situation. Almost to the point that you don't show weakness. You mask your failures. You mask your emotions. And so you become a coach as the head coach and this is how it's been described to me by people I mentor, that they feel like they're an actor or an actress in their own life. It's not really them. 
but they are in a category where they don't know how to get out of that. And so when you embrace the concept of being a flawed leader and show those faults, you actually prove that you're human. You're a human being. You are authentic. You show the best version of yourself. You show after making a mistake, the resilience and the grit to overcome that. And that's modeling for your athletes and your staff. So rather than be the leader that pretends to know all, which we certainly know is not true, has no life difficulty, no family, kids that are failing something, parents that are asking for things, rather than being that person, if you embrace your flaws, in part of my theory, I actually believe you will get more buy-in from the people that you serve as a moral. <coughs> yeah, I love that. I think connections happen in my mind through vulnerability, right? Um, and if you allow yourself to be vulnerable as a leader, uh, I think, uh, and it's a fine line because as a leader, you have to, especially as a coach, you have to step up and, and be the one to sort of be that rock, right? But you could still do that and have vulnerability. You could laugh at yourself. You could, uh, you know, uh, talk through something. Hey, I didn't make the right decision as a parent, as a coach, as a leader. Um, and what can I do better next time? What could we do better next time collectively? Uh, really uh, insightful. And uh, it, it speaks to humility, vulnerability, uh, all, all traits that uh, I know, uh, Anthony, you knew uh, Joe Rella. Uh, that's the kind of leader yes. he was. Um, and that's why I think he had such an enormous uh, following and uh, how much uh, people loved him. But same kind of uh, mentality, the humility of vulnerability leads to uh, people respecting and connecting with you. Uh, thoughts from Anthony Rich on that? You know, it's, it's in fact that you mentioned Joe, you know, we used to, whenever I met Joe, it was, wasn't a handshake. It was a hug and and he called, you know, hey, brother, that kind of thing. And, um, and and listening to you speak, Sue, one of the things that that it struck me um, is that it really takes a special kind of person to do the things that you're saying. You know, to be willing to, to um, let your vulnerability show, to be willing to make a mistake, um, to, to, to be willing to, to learn from the mistake. And, and um, I think the sad thing is that culturally, a lot of that is frowned upon as a leader, you know? And, and I think that that's, that's such a shame in, in a lot of respects, because I think to me, the better kind of leader is the person who can do those things. Now, the other question I just want to throw out there is, and it's something I always, you know, confront my students with, is that something that you can learn or is that just innate to you in terms of your upbringing, your personality? Um, you know, the, the biggest challenge that, and I've been school superintendent and biggest challenge with superintendents is putting your ego aside to be able to, to embrace those, I hate to use what was just saying flaws or those mistakes. Um, just curious as to what you think about that. So first back to something that Al said, in the world of athletics, a saying that I embrace is, I can't give correction until I have connection. Mm. 
And what that means to me is I can't teach someone how to do something until they trust that I'm trying to help them, right? So after I have connection with someone, then I can help give them correction, right? And so, so here's what I'll say. I'll actually believe that trying to hide my true self is more challenging yes. than actually being my true self. Wow. And it almost happens where as a coach, you go through your 20s, 30s, and the first day a student says to you, what happens now? And you say back to that student, I don't know. I'll find out and get back to you. Three quarters of the time, they already know that you don't know, or they already know that the drill is too big and you have to make it smaller, or they already know that something you're telling them for the game isn't going to work. And you actually get them to embrace you more as a leader with truth and honesty, mm -hmm. right? So it takes a lot of energy to be that person that you believe people want to be. And then my other problem with that is younger people coming through, that's all they see is the positives, like the Facebook feed of everybody's life at Disney World and doing well and the coaches always do well. And when they don't share the difficulties and the downs and the lows of their time, young people quit the profession, right? And so that, that's a big concern of mine. But the direct answer to your question, I'm going to go to fear. And this is one of the things I did want to talk about. I believe fear is the culprit. Yes. My fear that people will find out my concern that I don't know as much as they think I know, my fear that I won't be respected, my fear, quite frankly, that I might lose my job if I show weakness, quote, weakness, right? And so I think when you fear those things, I fear my legacy won't be as positive if I admit that I don't know things or that I made mistakes and that's just not true. The culture in your office, the culture in your industry will all be improved by your increased empathy. Mm -hmm. your increased empathy only gets to that point when you reveal it that you're dealing with something and therefore you can empathize with others. Otherwise they won't come to you because they don't think that you're dealing with any difficulty. Yeah, and, and fear is a funny thing too because if you if you fear uh, being flawed, as you mentioned, uh, often those are the types of leaders that instill fear in the people yes. that they're 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 leading too, uh, and it's just perpetuated. Um, Rich, thoughts on on what uh, Sue originally said, as well as that fear. We always talk about fear-based leadership, but the way Sue is uh, contextualizing is interesting too because it's really of being afraid of being vulnerable, right? That's that's the context that you're putting it in. Yeah, I, actually, I, I admired Anthony's question very much because that was a great question to uh, enable Susan to uh, really uh, elaborate on, on things I know that she's very passionate about. Um, I have one thing just occurred to me, and I'm not sure if it, if it will make sense as such, and I'm just holding my hand, my, my rings of my uh, thumb and forefinger from both hands to, to uh, make the point, maybe just one of them. There's, there's a term called zero hyphen sum, S-U-M. Uh, 
essentially, you know, when people have to interact with each other, whether they're coaching each other or leading, uh, or one's, one's a leader and one is not, uh, there's a, a certain energy or, or a power structure. Maybe I like the energy word rather than power structure, where if people begin to con uh, interact with each other, if you're working with a zero sum, it sometimes means, especially in, in when we took it from the fear point, it sometimes means that the winner uh, gets what she wants out of enacting her strength or, her, or, or her, whatever fear she can act out on, on the victim, so to speak. And that automatically invites some kind of internal uh, tug of war that doesn't contribute to the whole with a W. So that, that kind of, a, so that zero sum idea is something that's very difficult for some people to get past. And for a coach to have that um, quality, you know, to come back to Anthony's point, you know, whether it's something that's innate, something you learn from, the, from, uh, from your own uh, personal experiences or, you, or someone teaches it to you as I know that Susan can, can do and has been doing. Uh, I think, I, I don't know the answer to that as such. Maybe Susan wants to come back to that. The other thing, Susan's going to laugh when I say this, although she hasn't seen it. If you want to talk about vulnerability in coaching, Apple Plus has a, has a show right now called Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's really very good. It's about a, an American football coach who uh, gets enlisted to go come to England to coach a, a British football team, a soccer team, with our words, and how he's a total fish out of water, out of water, and the people are typecasting him, and they're expecting him to act out the testosterone thing on him, and he's not. He's a, he knows how to wear his, his emotions on his sleeve when it's appropriate, and he knows how to uh, uh, send out these, the subliminal message to his team and to the people in the organization that this is the best way to maximize everybody's intent and energies. So I recommend this. I rec I've been recommending it to uh, <laughs> uh, Susan and I recommend it because it's really kind of like a silly, but also a pretty poignant example of exactly what she's driving at. Mm -hmm. So Sue, I know we have um, the, the teaser for the next section is uh, uh, the Japanese art of Kintsugi, if I remember correctly, right? Correct, uh, correct, so, correct. And uh, I know that's analogous to leadership and coaching as well. So uh, if you could speak to what is, which I never heard of before I, we mentioned before pre-show here, Kintsugi, what is that? So it's, it's basically the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery. And it could be a bowl, a plate. And so if something breaks, a family heirloom uh, during an earthquake, or a child takes something, drops it. Traditionally, on this side of the world, we would take it and throw it in the garbage. And we would do that quickly because it was broken and it has flaws now. And so let's go past it and just move on and go out and buy a new one. And in this art, the concept is take that, put it back together with lacquer, the alchemy of the lacquer and the ceramic, or Rich will appreciate that. Yeah. And then take gold highlights or dust and actually highlight the broken pieces as this was the journey of the bowl. The bowl was broken and we're going to highlight because it's a part of the bowl. That's we can't take that away. We, it's a part of what the bowl is now. 
And so the bowl has overcome this brokenness and is showing its flaws and actually highlighting its flaws. And now, arguably, it can be more beautiful with some displaced parts and some gold highlights in specific places. That's great. And it stands out in its own unique way, right? Which is, which yeah. is yeah. something to be celebrated. Yeah, it, and it actually to the point where it's, it's kind of interesting. You can see this, some of these on YouTube. People are taking pottery, put it, putting them in uh, towels and taking a hammer. And breaking them, yeah. And then, and then we talk about what does the hammer represent? The hammer represents everything in your life that is difficulty, that is going to happen. It's, it, it's, it's not in coaching, we say, my goal is not to be without challenge or without difficulty or without problems. My goal teaching my students is how do they deal with them when they occur? It's, it's not the absence of failure that makes them good. It's how I teach them to be resilient after the failure happens, because without the failure, there's no growth. And so people are actually now taking these pots, breaking them, <laughs> and getting in tune with the brokenness of it, accepting it as a part of life, and then putting it together and being truly uh, happy with the end result. Now, Obviously, you can take that and, and put it into many aspects of leaders and teams, personally and as a group. Rich? Yeah, real quickly, just think about the mental model and dispositions that, she, that she's talking towards. And that, you know, those, that's, I'm not sure if it's, if it's the uh, exception rather than rule or, or the increasing rule, so to speak, along the lines of what you're trying to say. I mean, yesterday, uh, the two football games, are the, are, the, are the losers in both of those games regrouping and trying to look at what their failures were in order to transform themselves for the next year? Or, will that, or is that what the leaders will do once, they, once the dust clears? You know, there's, there's, there's a whole body of research and, and knowledge on the psychology of leadership. And so much of what you're talking about, Sue, is, is, is you know, synonymous with that. But I think, and, and unless my colleagues disagree, the K-12 leadership world, I mean, it's, that's the world that, that you know, we have almost experience, has missed the boat on a lot of this. We, we don't look at that kind of psychology. We don't, you know, um, I, I just don't think, you know, our programs miss, miss the opportunity to, to instill in our students. Um, the, the, it's a struggle. But, but the struggle, the encouragement to embrace that failure, to, to you know, embrace that empathy, that it's not a sign of weakness. Um, and and it's, you know, it's a real shift for us in terms of our thinking as leaders. And, um, but I think you're right. You said something that I thought was very poignant. Um, it would make our organizations so much, not only better culturally, but more effective. Well, there's, there's, there's a, yeah, honestly, there's a threshold. If you, if we're talking about that fear of failure, there's a threshold that you have to get past. And the analogy with the bowl, um, we have a perfectly good bowl and you say, all right, students break the bowl. What? We can't break the bowl. 
we're not we're not allowed to break the bowl with a hammer. It's a it's a perfectly good bowl. Like getting past that threshold that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to fail. It's we not only is it okay, but to go beyond that and say it's actually good to fail, and it's actually really um, empowering to embrace it and to grow from that and to create something new with that bowl, so to speak, right? But just that act of taking a hammer to a perfectly good bowl would be really a challenge for 90 to 100% of, of people, especially uh, a lot of the type A kind of personalities that become leaders and teachers and whatnot. Um, that's not an easy thing to do. And it really, uh, I, I would love to see that exercise in every teacher prep program out there, to be honest with you. Well, I'll, 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 give, a, I'll give a tag on for you. I was at a, a national camp and a student said to me, she was already there. So it's 2% of the population that make it to this camp. And she uh, was paralyzed and couldn't go out to the field. And she said to me, I'm already here. So if I go out to the field, all that can happen is they look at me and say, I'm not good enough and I won't be invited back. Right. So she couldn't get past that. So I did this little example with them where we did the bowls and broke it and with two students. And in both cases, they immediately wanted to put the pieces back as quickly as possible. They were so visibly uncomfortable with the broken pieces. <laughs> and I, I made them sit there for three minutes. And you would have thought that I invited Godzilla into the room. <laughs> he struggled mightily with the broken, and I was trying to get them to accept this and it was okay. Something temporarily was in this state and we'll fix it, but let's take our time. And they, they really struggled to do that. Their immediate reaction was quick, put the pieces together, get the glue, cover, <laughs> put things in front. It was, it, it was, it was really an interesting little, um, little piece there. And when, and you think about that too, where you put something back together with glue in my mind, I was like, oh, you could see the glue, you could see the line, but this is about, it's okay to see the glue. It's okay. yes. let's, let's enhance the glue. I love it. Absolutely love it. All right. So I want to, I want to quickly wrap up. Uh, Sue, we'd love to have you on again and, and, and oh, continue yes, this conversation. Um, <laughs> so just final thoughts from Anthony, then Rich, and then Sue, I'll let you have the final say. Uh, Anthony. You know, for, for me, this is such a refreshing conversation. You stole my word. <laughs> really, you know, because you know, we're as I said before, we're we're very much mired in 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 the K twelve mentality in terms of leadership, and you know, and and more often than not, um, it takes courage to do the things that you're suggesting to be the kind of leader that that people can and should be, um, and it takes a lot a, a lot of courage, and 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 that and for us as teachers and teachers of future leaders, as you've been really referring to the whole time. Uh, we need to build that into our own pedagogy, so to speak. Uh, and we just don't do it. And we don't do, if we do it, we don't do enough of it, but I don't think we do it at all. So, so very, very refreshing conversation. I hope you do come back, Sue. Love to explore these ideas with you so much more. Thank you. Yeah, and, and go ahead, Rich, yep. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's inter and I, that was exactly the word I was gonna use, Anthony, refreshing. Uh, Breath of fresh air, the same sin, obviously the synonym for that. Uh, and uh, Susan exemplifies you know, that kind of thinking clearly. And your point, Anthony, about uh, that it's not the practice, it's not the dominant disposition, mental models in K-12 world. 
I mean, it's easy to blame you know, the testing and the Newsday uh, score charts and those kinds of things, but it's deeper than that because I'm, I'm sure Susan can relate. I'm telling Susan what you can, what you obviously can think about. But when you have a team that's that's, uh, that's not winning, someone's going to start wondering about you know what you're doing to uh, to uh, enable them to get better, to be victorious, so to speak, and. It's probably requires that a person like yourself, which like Ted Lasso is, come to think of it, who doesn't worry about the scores so much as to worry about developing the people with whom and for whom he leads. So, so I want to give you the last say as well. And, and so much of what I'm hearing transcends not only K-12, but also higher ed, coaching, uh, these strategies like we often have on Leadership Redefined, really uh, you could apply to parenting even, right? I mean, so much of these things... Uh, transcend everything we do throughout life, any relationships we have. Uh, Sue, the last word. And uh, again, we love, thank you for having, uh, for, for, for being on the show rather. And uh, we want to have you again, for sure. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I'd, I'd, I'd love to come back. So I'll, I'll tie both Anthony and Rich together and I'll even use a little bit of your, of your tag there. So to me, it is how you define success, right? So if you define success by, how many goals you score and the winning versus what you can control and what happens to the overall growth and development. People say to me, do you coach soccer? And I say, no. And they say, wait, wait, I thought somebody said you coach soccer. <laughs> no. What do you mean? And I say, I coach people. I use soccer to coach people. I coach that's people it's all about relationships. Yeah, that's great. Game. Everybody wants more X's and O's. And then they know everything and they've got a board and they've got a fancy whistle and a hat and a clipboard, <laughs> but it's about the relationships that matter. And I have, I have two children in middle school and Anthony, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> if one more person tells me, you know, you're not the traditional parent. <laughs> I'm not defining my children's success by their grades of points and exactly. I don't do their homework for them. I don't do work with them. They have failed multiple times so that they can learn how to actually do things themselves. And I've had, quite frankly, talks with school people and other parents saying, well, they, if they don't get an A, what's going to happen? <laughs> well, what's happen if they don't get an A is they're going to learn how to get an A. Otherwise, they're never going to try things for fear of not getting an A. They're, they're always going to undershoot their abilities. So um, so as a parent, I can appreciate that. But as a person, and whether it's with my team, my students, I teach in the gradu graduate programs, or in other work that I do, I have the same goal of how I define the success. Excellent. Well, well, well put to close this out. Um, thank you again, Sue. Thank you, Anthony and Rich. Uh, look forward to having you again soon. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Sue. Bye-bye. Okay.